Texas talking oh. What was that that you said Texas talking oh. Gonna hoop upside your head Texas talking Tell me who can you trust When Texas guys Hey guys, it's your favorite state representative, Jonathan Stickland, taking a break from my efforts of defeating the Austin establishment to say thank you for tuning in to the Tribcast. I hope you enjoy your show, and here's the wonderful host, Emily Ramshaw. Thank you. This is Emily Ramshaw here with the Tribcast for the third week of October. I'm joined by executive editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. Reporter Alexa Ura. Hello. And reporter Patrick Svitek. Hello. We are Evan Free this week. Tribune Festival free, Evan free. <laughs> so relaxing. Week. We're basically all sitting on the couch right now. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, uh, I want to talk about Planned Parenthood, which was back in the headlines in a big way in Texas this week, uh, because something happened that GOP state officials have been trying to accomplish for, oh, as long as I've been in Texas. Uh, Alexa, walk us through what they ended up doing. On Monday, Texas health officials sent Planned Parenthood a letter saying they are officially cutting them out of the Medicaid program, which is a joint federal and state joint insurer of the poor and disabled. And this means that Planned Parenthood clinics that were not performing abortions are are at risk of losing this money. And really, most of it is coming from the feds. But because the state administers the program, they are now trying to push them out of it altogether. And this is money that is, uh, to be clear, not used for abortions because that's prohibited, you know, by state and federal law. Right. But it's money that is going toward what, like contraception, family planning, birth control, um, HIV, STD testing, anything along within the family planning community, and breast and cancer screenings, mm-hmm. breast and cervical cancer screenings. So, I mean, I think the the first big question for me is like, what evidence do they have to do this other than this video of Planned Parenthood Gulf Coast that's one of these sort of undercover, highly edited videos made by abortion opponents who were misrepresenting themselves to get the footage? Well, that's a, I think that's the most interesting part about this because Republicans have been trying to do this for so long and had sort of held back because they needed sort of real evidence to prove that Planned Parenthood was no longer a qualified provider, which is a term used within the health community to figure out who can actually get this money and so and in the letter that was sent to Planned Parenthood you know the evidence that is being cited is all from these videos and it's unclear at this point whether they actually went out there and did inspections and and corroborated what was seen in these videos it's pretty unclear but obviously something Republicans have been wanting to do for forever and I guess they felt like this was enough is there some prove up on this I mean you know if they come back in and you know investigate this and find that well you know things are not what they seemed to be, Planned Parenthood didn't do what was on the video, are they bang back in the program or does the, what happens there? Well, health officials technically went out to the facility in question, it's a Houston one after the video surfaced, but it's unclear what, what they actually found during those inspections. But at this point, they have 30 days to ask for administrative hearing in which they- They Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood can defend itself and say this isn't true. But what we saw in Louisiana, which tried to do the same thing, Planned Parenthood went directly to the courts and challenge this legally. And I'm assuming that's what's going to happen here, too. And Abbott's kind of helping that, right? Didn't yeah. Didn't he indicate some yeah, way that... On Fox News on Tuesday, I he was asked about that, yeah. and he said, I sure hope they sue me so we can you know, finally put them under oath and, and question them about these issues. I mean, it's, this is 
fascinating to me because I can't imagine that the feds are just going to sort of sit back and let this happen. I mean, this the money that the state has cut off, it's about, what, $300,000 of state money, but it's like $3, $3 million, million of federal money. So, you know, the overwhelming majority of this money that was going to Planned Parenthood were federal dollars, not state dollars, but they're federal dollars that the state, I guess, gets to decide what to do with. So, you know, we saw this a couple of years ago mm-hmm. with the Medicaid Women's Health Program, where Texas officials kicked Planned Parenthood out and the feds basically said, all right, you're going to play that game. We're going to stop funding this program. Yeah. I mean, could could the feds stop funding portions of, of Medicaid or could, you know, could they cut off the flow of dollars to the state over this? Well, it definitely echoes 2011, 2012 when that legal battle happened, because at the time the feds said you can't cut off who provides these services. Medicaid beneficiaries have a right to choose who they get these services from. And the state said, well, we can decide who is a qualified provider. And, and so did the court agree with the state in that case? The, it, it ended up going to the Fifth Circuit, which said that the state could kick out Planned Parenthood. And so, you know, depending on what we'll see now, this time we're seeing it all across the country. And so I, I don't know how much of a possibility there is that this will go to the Supreme Court. But in terms of Medicaid, you know, the feds rely on the states to administer this money. And so I don't know if they could do something different to where the state directly begins to reimburse providers for this money or not. The big, oh, go ahead, Russ. What does this do to the map? I mean, if you look at the map of services around Texas, um, some of which Planned Parenthood provides, some of which are provided by FQHCs and some other things, um, is, is, is the geography much different without Planned Parenthood on that map? Well, at this point, because of the closures that have happened and some of the disaffiliations, there are three big affiliates, one in the Houston area, one in the greater Texas, which is Austin, Dallas, and a couple in South Texas. And so it would push out plenty of these because most of them aren't even providing abortions. Most of them are just participating in sort of well women care. So it would be in sort of those major areas. But the argument that we've seen in the past is, you know, maybe Planned Parenthood doesn't have that many clinics participating, but they see a lot more women than other providers. I, I, I guess I'm curious if the network without Planned Parenthood in it is sufficient for the demand. I would need to sort of really sit down and look at the numbers, but for they are I probably the biggest demand might be in South Texas as usual. Yeah, I think it's interesting because a lot of people didn't even realize that there were any Medicaid dollars left to go to right. Planned Parenthood in Texas. Like we all thought that all that money had been stripped away, but this this particular issue is around. I mean, the, the videos, the subject of the videos were these um, was fetal tissue donation, which is you know sort of the organs that that are obtained during abortion being given to medical researchers, and often really yeah. just the tissue, the tissue, right? And and so I mean, in this particular case, it seems like what the state is arguing is that we have evidence that you all were sort of either altering the timing of abortions or exactly the, the procedure used to perform the abortion in order to maintain as much tissue as possible for these donations, right? And that's based off of what was sort of said in conversation in the videos. Again, I don't know how much proof they actually have of someone admitting to doing this beyond what's in the videos, which have also been criticized for being heavily edited, right? I mean, Planned Parenthood Gulf Coast is particularly interesting because they say, we don't do this. We don't engage in this process. We did once before. It was in 2010, and we did it in partnership with the University of Texas Medical Branch, which was studying miscarriages, you know, how to prevent miscarriages. So if, if this is the particular case, you know, we don't know yet, but if the state is really targeting this particular 2010, you know, practice that Planned Parenthood Gulf Coast was engaging in, 
You'd think this would have shown up in, say, you know, inspection reports from those years or anything like that. They're supposed to do annual inspections, right? The state is supposed to do annual mm -hmm. inspections and would presumably have known about all of this stuff before any of us ever heard of a videotape and certainly afterwards would have been able to confirm it. Well, and the most interesting part to me is that Greg Abbott, when he was doing this interview on Fox, he said, you know, we'd be doing this even if the videos didn't come out. But if you look at the letter, the evidence that is being listed on there is all from the videos. It's absolutely spurred by the videos. I mean, yeah. that was the whole reason they opened this investigation. So, no, so didn't, uh, I thought I saw that Hillary Clinton weighed in on this particular Texas case this week. She did. Her campaign sent out a statement pretty soon after the announcement came out saying, you know, this is Texas Republicans playing politics with women's health care, sort of the go-to line when it comes to this, but, you know, pretty quickly weighed in on the issue. Hmm. Well, she's been pretty uh, involved here in Texas this week. There were a whole fleet of Texas endorsements, uh, right, Patrick? What did they look yeah. like or who was any surprises? Some of them were right. <laughs> yeah, right. Most, most were right. Most were right, yeah. So on, on Monday morning, the, the Clinton campaign on the heels of her rally last week in, in San Antonio where Julian Castro endorsed her, the, the campaign put out a, a list of um, 90 endorsements from elected officials, activists, and just other prominent people, other prominent Democrats uh, in Texas. Um, you know, in terms of the overall kind of makeup of the list, not a lot of surprises. Um, you know, if you want to kind of aggregate it the way that, you know, I think we put it was that she has the support of well over a majority of Democrats in the Texas congressional delegation and then also Democrats in the Texas Senate and Texas House. So more than half in those three those three segments. Um, but one of, you know, the, the headline that ended up coming out of it was the fact that uh, one of the, at least one of the names on the list, uh, San Antonio Mayor Ivy Taylor, um, had apparently not consented to her name showing up on that list. Um, now, kind of explanations vary about how that came about. Um, I think, you know, based on the reporting I've done, uh, you know, you, you do have here in Texas kind of different groups of Hillary supporters working on these efforts. You have, you know, you had last week you had campaign officials from Brooklyn in, in the state helping finalize this list of endorsements. You had volunteers on the ground helping finalize this list of endorsements. Um, and so I think in that kind of uh, haze of collaboration, perhaps, there was some miscommunication about whether Ivy Taylor, who apparently had expressed some support personally to Hillary Clinton for her candidacy, whether Ivy Taylor wanted to see her name on that list. I think it was a matter of um, whether she wanted that to be public knowledge. Um, as we all know, Ivy Taylor, you know, is, is very... Um, as a politician, is very sensitive to suggestions about her partisan uh, leanings. You know, the, the mayor's office in San Antonio is nonpartisan. We learned all about that during the most recent mayoral election, and she has made a point of, of campaigning and governing as a nonpartisan person. And so that was, I think, the most, most intriguing part of that, that rollout on Monday. And this is catching you a little cold, but since Biden just today mm -hmm. said he's not running for vice president, how many people, particularly in the Texas delegation, had withheld some kind of comment on Hillary, mm -hmm. waiting to yeah, see what Biden was going to do. Any, mm -hmm. any feel for that at all? Not really. You know, we did, I did a story of, I think it was about a week ago, of, you know, trying to gauge whether there was any support here in Texas among prominent Democrats for Biden. And it was, it was hard to find people who were saying they were waiting to see what he would do. Mm -hmm. um, one person I spoke with had said that, you know, if there are Texas Democrats who are, who are waiting to see what Biden would do, there may be kind of like the people who were early backers of Obama feel very deep loyalty to Obama and continuing the Obama legacy, and they view 
Biden as the inheritor of that legacy more so than they view Clinton. Um, but again, it was still difficult to find those people. Um, yeah. Yeah, in 2007 and 2008, there was some antipathy to the Clintons, even among some mm-hmm. Texas Democrats. Yeah. You sense any of that still, or is that not really? More, I more mean, what I you think um, I think Texas Democrats are generally energized by her candidacy this time around, especially because she's making a point of paying so much early attention to the state. Um, you know, I, you don't again. I, I don't. I don't hear a lot of that antipathy. Um, at this stage, I guess. I almost wonder, like, how much do these endorsements even matter? If nothing of it's really surprising, I'm almost more interested in seeing how mm-hmm. the capital breaks up when it comes to the Republican primary. Just there's so many more options there yeah. at this point. For sure. I mean, I think for her, it's it was largely about getting down here and and you know getting her name in front of a lot of Latino voters. Yeah. And, you know, making sure this was really sort of the state where she was sort of planting her flag from that standpoint. Mm-hmm. In case um, you haven't heard, I'm running for president. Well, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's also a place where you don't want to split the financial backers in the Democratic Party. You don't want factions mm-hmm. expressed in the, in those people. And, you know, in, in some ways, that's why it's valuable to have, you know, I was endorsed by these three officials in Dallas because it speaks to all of the Dallas money people mm-hmm. and these five officials in Houston mm-hmm. because it speaks to the Houston money people. And you don't end up splitting the till in the way that she did in 2007 and eight with Obama. Yeah. Well, when she was down here last week, she was looking pretty buddy-buddy with the uh, HUD secretary and former San Antonio mayor, Julian Castro, who's received a lot of um, buzz around whether he might be her VP. What did she say about him? And then in turn, what did he say about her at the sure. Tribune Festival? I think her, her most uh, at the Tribune Festival or at the, well, both. the event? Okay. There was one in, I was, <laughs> yeah, it was right. two events. Uh, at, at the rally or before the rally, she had a Q&A with the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. I think she said her most noteworthy uh, thing about him there, which is that um, you know, I'm, I'm really looking hard at him for, you know, essentially any role within my potential administration. Right. <laughs> um, obviously, she has a, a primary to win, the general election to win, um, which really, you know, in, in, in my recollection is really her first public remarks about the idea that Julian Castro could be a part of her administration. So that was that was noteworthy. Um, obviously, he spoke at the at the Trib Fest and, you know, he really, I guess, played coy. And you know, said that a good he, way to play when you're with Evan. <laughs> <Exactly>. Yeah, <laughs> it's naturally defensive. Yeah. on stage with exactly. Evan Smith, right? Um, but I think what stood out to me about his remarks at, at Trip Fest was he said, even if it's offered to me, who knows whether I'll take it or not? Um, you know, I, 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 yeah, I doubt that yeah. a little bit, but right. I mean, you know, I fundamentally believe I won't be pissed. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, is there any chance on earth he would not take this position if offered? Well, to he him? said so. I mean, he said a couple of things that were interesting. He said, you know, call what, me maybe. Well, call, yeah, call yeah. me maybe. I mean, <laughs> he did the he did, got that what, headline. <laughs> he, he did what Alexa just said. He said, you know, um, uh, he he doesn't feel like he said my my you know my spider sense basically is that I'm not going to be mm-hmm. her pick for this, and if I was picked, I'm not sure I'm at a position to take it. And he talked about Paul Ryan. You know, Ryan has talked about you know one of the hesitations that he has about being House Speaker is he has little kids. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't an issue when he was running for vice president. Well, yeah, but, you know, you get you get housing with that job. Yeah, yeah. Uh, free, that, that one comes with free government housing. Yeah. Um, the, you know, one of the things that Castro said was, you know, the the, the kids are little, and that's a consideration. Um, you know, I, I do think it's nuts. I I agree with you. If if they ask, I think he says. Sure. Yeah. Well, one of the more interesting conversations to have with Castro's boosters or supporters, or everyone to call them, is what, what is the scenario in which he doesn't get picked? Because right, right now it makes a lot of sense why he'd get picked and whatnot. One of the things they sometimes bring up is, you know, you know, presidential races can be volatile. It, it could depend on the political moment. So, you know, say we have some some international calamity and, and Clinton needs someone to even further bolster her foreign policy credentials. 
you know, Castro doesn't have that. Say that Bernie Sanders catches fire and Clinton needs, you know, and continues to, in some ways, drag the Democratic Party to the left or whatever. She needs a social democrat know. on the mm-hmm. ticket. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. <laughs> not that you would pick that. Yeah, democrat, not that she would yeah. pick that person during the primary, but that would, you know, that would be her her thinking. So it's it's interesting to talk to them about, you know, okay, it makes sense why he he could be the the running mate, but what are, what are the, what's the scenario in which he could not be? You know, what works against? Well, and him? also, you know, the the. What about Joaquin? Because if you think about the VP's role as being your connection to Congress, you have someone who's actually been there before. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, who? what do you think the likelihood is that he actually gets selected well, at you the know, end of the day? Vice presidents are always the answer to a question. When you right. look at a presidential candidate, you say, well, I like so-and-so except for X. You know, right. George Bush needs Washington experience, so you go to Cheney. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill Clinton needs Washington experience, so you go to Gore. You know, mm-hmm. Ronald Reagan, so you go to Bush. Right. So when you get to Hillary Clinton, you have to say, what's the question about this? One of the questions is going to be age. It's a little bit of the McCain question. You know, if that president drops of a heart attack or something, mm-hmm. who's number two? Um, and then you've got to look at a Castro or someone like that and say, does the number two have sufficient experience that you feel comfortable with them in the job? You know, that's handicapped some by what McCain did with Sarah Palin. You know, everybody right. everybody was suddenly very, very interested in McCain's health. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. in the, and in the wrong way. Um, so, so, so when Clinton gets there, she's going to be answering, you know, that question. And, you know, behind that, the political questions. I don't think geography matters as much as it once did, but it matters some. Um, I think the demographic matters quite a bit is the opponent Rubio or is the opponent of Bush. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, all of, those, all of those play in. Yeah. I think he's at the top of the, you know, near the top of the list. I don't think he's alone. You know, Tim Kaine's been mentioned a lot. Yeah. Uh, That's pretty much the only other name I've heard. I mean, you know, some other stuff floats around on the. the Bernie Sanders in a comb, you know, maybe fix his hair. Exactly. (laughs) Um, You know, maybe Biden can just stay in the job in perpetuity. He's already there. Well, you know, that's actually that's actually sort of interesting. I mean, you could do that. Has that ever happened before? Probably. Every time, every time, yeah. every time yeah. you say no, somebody says, "Oh, you forgot yeah, the yeah, yeah. 1848 election." It, it'll be interesting oh, to see how, how Julian Castro stands up to the vetting. That's obviously going to come with all this speculation. I mean, as we wrote in our piece, you know, Republican groups are—they already believe he's the running mate, and that's how they're they're treating him. That's how they're researching him. That's how they're they're uh, pitching information on him. Right. And one of the things that's been pointed out to me is, you know, as mayor, I think he was reelected twice before heading to D.C., and in each of those those reelections, he did face, he had competition, but it wasn't like an all-out battle, all-out referendum of his mayoral record um, in which his opponents, you know, took him to task on XX and X or whatever. They were all relatively easy reelections, And so I think Republicans view that even on his mayoral record, he hasn't been fully vetted, and that's obviously going to have a kind of national audience now. Well, and San, you know, politics in San Antonio has changed in the years since he was mm-hmm. uh, elected. Oh, I of mean, course, yeah. You I mean, know, now suddenly you have, like, big money uh, Republicans, conservatives mm-hmm. playing in even these Democratic races and affecting the outcome. Yeah, I mean, people, you know, Ivy Taylor's more conservative supporters would say that her whole uh, mayoral ship is a, repu- a repudiation of his of his tenure in some ways. I did think it was interesting that someone pointed out that he's he was the mayor of a city that has a bigger population than all of Alaska. And was there right. longer than Sarah Palin was as governor of the yeah. state. I wonder why they brought that up. I wonder whatever could they I wonder mean by why. That. Yeah. Well, there was even more, uh, as if we needed more, there was even more presidential fodder in Texas this week. And that was up in Plano for the Prestonwood Baptist Church uh, Presidential Forum. 
Um, tell us a little bit. I mean, there didn't seem to be a ton of huge headlines out of four that. hours. Four hours of yeah, yeah. Republican law, uh, presidential contenders it, talking about their uh, faith. Can I ask a question about the four hours <laughs> for just a second? Please. You know, you're in the room. What were, you know? Were there breaks? Were people going out and buying sodas? Yeah, there or were was, they just there sitting there, there the whole there time? Concession you know, stand? And there were they staying awake? They I mean, probably I mean, do I'm, have concessions. I bet there. they do. Um, yeah. Don't they have like a gym? The, the, there were yeah. Oh my god! Like watching Gone with the Wind. Gone for a run in the There was a LA fitness across the street, yeah. um, you know, <laughs> but there were, there were some breaks, there was some singing during the breaks, um, you know, but there, there actually were, take? I did not, I, I, I listened if that counts as, as uh, partaking, um, but yeah, there were a few breaks, but it, it still was qu- quite a marathon. And um, like you said, there wasn't a lot of, you know, groundbreaking news out of it. I mean, we had six presidential candidates, which was a little lower than their expectations. They'd wanted to get 10 presidential candidates to come to Texas. At this, since we have like 47, stage. you know. Exactly. Um, but the six they did get, obviously, I think they had a, a strong lineup, you know, Jeb Bush, Carly Fiorina, Ted Cruz, obviously. Um, you know, in the speeches and in the Q&A that, that we heard, there wasn't nothing, there wasn't a lot that we haven't heard from these candidates before. I think, you know, the news was the, who they liked the most. I think Cruz obviously had the home field advantage. People went nuts for him. A lot of elected officials who've already endorsed him were in the audience, including members of Congress, mm. members of the Texas legislature. I mean, this was this was his base, and he's obviously aggressively courting evangelical voters. They already love him. He's trying to make more of them love him, and I think it was a success. Um, you did know, he talk about his faith, or did he talk about his politics? He talked a lot about his politics. Mm. Um, that's that's. I mean, this is could be a whole other discussion. But that's an interesting thing about the way that Cruz kind of a kind of appeals to evangelicals. He talks in personal terms about it, but it's it's largely about politics. It's largely about uh, what the Supreme Court has done. Um, he ties his experience, obviously, you know, uh, arguing before the Supreme Court to to kind of evangelical stuff. Culture war, yeah, culture war stuff. Exactly. Um, and then I'd say the runner up in terms of reaction was Ben Carson. Um, you know, he got, you know, again, this this guy is very soft spoken. He's kind of the antithesis of, of Cruz stylistically, at least. And he still got very, very loud applause. People were, were you know, he was the second to last candidate, I think. Bush was the last, uh, but it seemed like people were really waiting and anticipating Ben Carson. I mean, I think his plane was delayed or something. And so there was a, there was just a, a sense of anticipation in the room that you didn't feel for some of the other candidates besides maybe Cruz. So Carson, I think, played well. And um, I think, you know, more broadly, Carson, it seems, is, is really carving out a, a a well of support here in Texas. I mean, you look at this book tour he just had, or is in the middle of, eight stops in Texas in places as far flung as like Bryan, you know, which usually presidential candidates book He's tour. Doing most of them at Walmarts, right? Walmarts, Costco's, and apparently his right. campaign. Big, big bo- well, big box stores. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, inter- yeah. it's yeah, an yeah. interesting. It's not like the old, you know. Yeah. Well, when Cruz had his book tour, in all fairness, he did go to similar kind of locations. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, eight stops, you know, a lot of different cities. And you look at the the pictures from these events and hundreds of people, I heard 2,000 in San Antonio are showing wow. up. They're almost like campaign events, even mm-hmm. though his campaign is technically suspended right now. Um, so I think that's something that's, that's going to be fascinating to watch. He's really energized a lot of people here. Any no Democrats at this event, but they were invited. They were invited. Right? I mean, this is you know this was hosted by the Faith and Freedom Coalition, which you know traditionally works with Republican candidates. I don't think any reporters were holding their breath for you know Hillary Clinton to copter in at the last second. It's kind of like an invitation that says you don't want to do this, do you? Walk in and talk about Planned Parenthood. Right. Yeah, right. Uh, so one other Trip Fest headline that I wanted to mention came from um, actually my one-on-one interview with Agriculture Commissioner Sid Miller, uh, who I had the great pleasure of asking about climate change. And he gave an answer that uh, I wasn't exactly expecting. I sort of expected him to, to toe the far-right party line yeah, around— I was going to ask uh, if you knew you were pulling the pin out of a grenade. 
made on this. I, had, I thought he was going to answer the question in the usual way, and instead he said... I don't know what he said. You were there. <laughs> <laughs> I read oh, about I it. You're yeah. I thought you were excited about that. I know. No, you seemed so pumped up. Uh, instead, what he said basically was, you know, I do believe that humans contribute to climate change, which is something that you don't often hear Republicans say. Uh, but then he sort of pivoted and said, you know, I changed my mind on it, or I, I came to believe this on my recent, you know, official state trip to China because I couldn't see the sun there for X number of Blame days. China. Right. So basically he said, yes, I'd, and I kept coming back to it during the interview because I wanted to make sure I'd heard correctly. But he said, you know what, I really, I do think humans contribute to climate change. But basically the insinuation was those humans. Not yeah, these right. blame, blame your iPhone, which was made <laughs> where? Yeah, <laughs> right, right. So, you know, I'm, and I'm curious if this is the new – look, I mean, scientists across the board agree that humans contribute to climate change, to global warming. So I think, you know, the question becomes, are Texas Republicans going to sort of start coming around on this but finding a way to say, look, this this is a problem there, but Texas is doing all the right things it needs to do? I mean, is this a shift if Sid Miller is going to say that? Well, it's interesting. You know, I mean, he's usually, you know, right word inside the Republican Party. And, you know, I, I kind of expected the same thing it sounds like you expected. Um, it's interesting. Um, maybe the maybe the people who want to change their minds should, you know, send them all to China for a couple yeah. of weeks. Yeah. But I, is this also Sid Miller just saying something and then tomorrow he's going to move on like so many of the things he's put on Facebook? And he mentioned that during your interview, like, yeah, we said it and then we moved on. And he doesn't really sit on some of those controversial or, you know, unusual things he says. This sounds more like a policy shift. I mean, you know, the other things sound like, oops. Right. You know, yeah. I was, you know. Right. Yeah. Um, I just I just thought it was. Yeah. I mean, it seems like this very rarely happens in our world of politics here where someone is this, you know, is, is to extend candid about this. And I just I think about the night before the Dan Patrick interview and just how unbending Dan Patrick was on so many issues. Not that I expected him to, you know, suddenly reverse on some of these major issues. It was exactly where you expected. Exactly. Him to be, just and, down the line. Right. You know, fought with the audience, basically. Uh, very. He had a he had a he had a, I got to say he had a very hostile audience <laughs> yeah, exactly. and, and he held his ground very exactly. well. It was just such a, it's such a contrast. And you go over to the Sid Miller clip that, you, you know, you got you had. And it was just I think it was remarkable. I mean, it just was a weird moment because it was not at all the answer that I was expecting. It was, I, you know, you always expect to hear the same party line from mm -hmm. these guys on this, which is what made me think, you know, maybe this is, maybe this is the way out of it. Let's send Sid out there and see if it's okay. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> exactly. Test the waters. If Sid, if Sid comes back without any singe marks on him. My favorite part about that interview was when he was talking about whether Democrats or Republicans own the issue of climate and climate change. And he said, you know, look at the root word conserve. I see that in conservative. Right. He was like, you know, the Republicans really are the ones who've been out ahead on conservation issues because it's, in, it's our in our name. name. Yeah. That's the way to do it. There he goes. All <laughs> out is. about stewardship or something. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, Ross, give us just a quick rundown on the um, key propositions that we should expect to see on the ballot this time around. What should we be watching for? Well, some yeah. people have already seen them. Uh, voting's underway uh, this week and next week. And then I guess Election Day is whatever that Tuesday is. Is it the third? third. I, should, I should know this off the top of my head, but I don't. Um, the three that are getting the most attention are the first one, which would add $10,000 to the school property tax exemption that homeowners get. Uh, it averages about $126 per 
per homeowner, you can go to our website and stick in your address, and it'll tell you exactly what for your own school district. Some of them range up to like 151 or 52 dollars. I think mine was um, exactly 126 dollars. Yeah, mine was unless one, you don't own a home, and so. then your landlord gets it. In right. Uh, your landlord doesn't get a homeowner <laughs> exemption for rental property. Ah. Right. So right, that's commercial property of a kind. So, um, so it's you know it's limited. It's not exactly what either house initially proposed, but it, it's a start. So that's the First Amendment. Uh, there's been a lot of attention given to, I think it's Amendment Number 6, which would put into the Constitution, put hunting and fishing into the Constitution. Um, because we need to protect them. need some reassurance because, on that. Because <laughs> Texas. And no, number seven is... So Texas. No, number seven is... I saw somebody came out against it, and it was like, you know, that's that it was a liberal Democrat, and it was clearly not a redneck district. But what if I'm not a hunter, but I like fishing? Okay, <laughs> you're just going to have to, you know, <laughs> make an accom- You're going to have to make an accommodation. And then the seventh amendment is the. I'm just I'm doing a Rick Perry here. Help. Uh, Seventh Amendment. Maybe we better wrap the this last thing one. up. <laughs> just end it with a new department of It's the Department of Energy. Come yeah. back next week for it's the a, answer to that aside, one. It's a, it's a, all right, it's a set aside for highways, and it's um, you know it basically sets aside two and a half billion dollars for highways uh, from kind of a it's a complicated mechanism, but it's basically a run over pot. So after a certain pot of money has filled up with, I think it's $5 billion. The money that is extra to that, up to $2.5 billion, goes to roads only. It can't go to mass transit. It can't go to um, other things. It's just for just for highways. Those are the three that have gotten the most attention. You know, one that I think is interesting, it's just peculiar, is, um, and I, I don't have them in front of me, I think I believe it's the third proposition. It's the one that says statewide officials would no longer have oh, to right. live in requirement at the yeah. seat of yeah. government, um, which is an interesting thing. So, you know, there's a complaint from some of them that, you know, you got to move to Austin, and Austin real estate costs a fortune. You can't even live in mm-hmm. a nearby town that's outside of Travis County, like, say, Georgetown or Round Rock. Um, so some of them, I think, would, you know, and this is historical, some of them would just as soon stay at home. Um, on the weekends and, and come up here three or four days a like week. Like they do and, during the legislative you know, session. And, and yeah. there's the George P. Bush argument. You know, when he was criticized for campaigning some for his dad, one of the arguments that his staff made was that this is the computer age and you can work wherever you are. So just the fact that he's on a plane to, you know, someplace in Iowa. Patrick doesn't, does it all the time. Doesn't, yep. doesn't mean. Exactly. Yeah, it doesn't seem Southwest to. Southwest Wi-Fi yeah. could improve. It yeah, could Pat, improve. Patrick doesn't yeah, seem right. to <laughs> lose any effectiveness, you know, based just, on his geography. So, yeah. so, I mean, so there's the argument that you can do a lot of things um, outside of Austin about your state job that you couldn't do when we got this thing started in 1836. Yeah, and we, if you had Dan Patrick and Greg Abbott, I mean, going across the state, kind of talking about these these constitutional amendments, which is, you know, it seems like they both have had pretty low profiles after the session, but I think Dan Patrick has gone to a dozen cities to talk about them, and I know right. Abbott has incorporated them in his, his grassroots tour as he goes across the state, and then today, Wednesday, he, he voted early here in, here in Austin. Right. So if we didn't mention your favorite amendment, sorry, but those are the four that seem to be getting the <laughs> right. most attention. Well, if we didn't mention your favorite amendment, uh, you can email us at <laughs> tribcast at texastribune.org. Uh, you can also now sign up for Tribcast Alerts at texastribune.org slash Tribcast. And check back on the Tribune site on Thursday for an awesome new project we have launching called Starstruck that's about the fights and flights behind the new Texas space race. It's a really awesome endeavor. We'd like to thank Shiny Ribs for doing our music. And on behalf of Ross, Alexa, Patrick, and our producer, Todd, this is Emily. Thanks for listening. Texas is done.
Arkansas over Texas means there's something really fundamentally wrong with you. Yeah, when we were 